Adventures, I'm Allison Southwick. On this week's episode, we're going back to school with a choose-your-own-adventure guide to paying for college. We'll see if you can make it all the way to the end without dying. We're also going to explain the backdoor Roth. Megan Brinsfield joins us. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. Saving for college is hard and only getting harder. I think we can agree on that, yeah? I agree with you. It's like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books where you have to follow the exact right path or you end up getting devoured by a dragon, which, of course, <laughs> I mean, means saddling you and your child with incredible amounts of debt. They're equivalent, I would agree. Devoured by a dragon. Or paying school, begging back school loans. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. So today, we are going to have a choose-your-own-adventure. Isn't this exciting? Oh, it is. All right, so let me turn to, um, I believe this book is entitled Paying for College. The smart way? I don't know. What should I title this fake book? Thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The title of this book is So You Want to Pay for College. Um, there you go. All right. Or get eaten by a dragon. Page one. <laughs> Congratulations. You just gave birth to a bouncing baby boy. You're filled with joy, surrounded by love, and covered in vomit. You name him Jimmy. Do you decide to start researching 529 plans while the doctor is still smacking his little behind? Or... Go take a nap. You are so sleepy. <laughs> it is exhausting having kids, so I might just take the nap. <laughs> I don't know. I'm single. Okay. <laughs> but if you start researching 529s, here's some information that you might find out. It is a special account that allows you to save for college, and that grows over time tax-deferred or tax-free, really, if you end up using those funds to pay for qualified tuition expenses like room and board. These accounts are state-sponsored plans, so each state has a different 529 plan, and it could be a prepaid account, meaning that you pay for one or more years of college in advance, or just a savings account um, where the money grows over time and you can use it for whatever expenses that you want in the future. Uh, when you take the money out, it's tax-free as long as you use it for qualified expenses. If you use it for anything else, it, you are hit with an additional 10% penalty. So you want to make sure to be careful about exactly how much you're putting in the account. You don't want to oversave um, in a 529 plan. And you can use any state's 529 plan. I'm not limited to just Virginia's plan. You're not, but many states offer a tax deduction for putting money into a 529 plan. Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. do. Some other states, like California, don't. Or if you live in a state that doesn't have income tax, that deduction component is really irrelevant. Yeah. If you want to go to a site that will help you choose a good plan, it's savingforcollege.com. Rates all the plans for people who live in that state and outside of the state. And you'll find the best plans are those that are lower cost, like the ones offered by Nevada or Utah. And you, you can save in that state and you don't have to use it to go to school in that state you can use it for any college anywhere in the united states and even some international schools all right let's head back to the book shall we let's do it you can sleep when you're dead that's the spirit now that you know what a 529 plan is and have researched the best possible options do you decide to start investing now or wait until your kid is older and actually interested in college well that is an interesting question uh, I would say you could start researching now, but I will add a huge caveat, and that is you should always take care of your own retirement first. Make sure you're saving enough for that. Once you have met that goal, then you should look at the 529 just to give you an idea of how much you should save. 
Um, let's say that I, I actually visited savingforcollege.com and that has a fancy little calculator there. If someone who is born today and is going to go to college in 18 years, you want to pay for the complete education at a typical public school, it recommends that you save $465 a month. Put that off to when the kid is five, it moves to $599, wait until the kid is 10, 848. If you wait till the kid is 15, then you're going to save about $1,500 a month. So Oof. like many financial goals, the longer you wait, the more you put it off, the more you're going to have to save. That could be a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, I mentioned that it's a lot. You can oversave in a five two nine account. So, if someone didn't want to fund a hundred percent of that, how would you go about telling them how much to put in, just to you know have enough for college, but not have too much? Right. I generally recommend that people save about half of what would be necessary to pay for a whole four year education at a public school because there's so many things we don't know about. We don't know what the cost of school will be in the future. We don't know if the kid will get um, scholarships. We don't know if the kid will even go to school. So um, saving about half that much is a pretty good idea. If for some reason you have undersaved for college but oversaved for retirement, you actually can tap your IRAs and avoid some penalties to, for qualified edu- education expenses. So there are options if for some reason your 529s aren't big enough. There are other options, too, in terms of transferring accounts between family members. And the term family member for this purpose is pretty widely cast. I mean, it's like in-laws, cousins. Nieces, right. nephews. Yeah. And in theory, I could use Hannah's 529 money to go to France and learn how to make cheese, right? In theory, yes. In as theory. long as it is on the Department of Labor's list of qualified cheese schools. Absolutely. Wow. Let me go take a look at that list. <laughs> the <see>. fromage collage. <laughs> the fromage collage. <laughs> All right, let's head back to the book. Ah, the joys of parenting a teenager. Your little Jimmy is 16 and now a man. He's 113 pounds wet and, when he's not doing something called LARPing with his friends in the woods, spends a lot of time in his room with the door locked. Do you decide to knock on the door to the left, from behind which is blaring the worst possible music ever, and talk to your son about his dreams and aspirations for life, or head to the door on the right and take a nice long bath? Oh, how you deserve it. <laughs> LARPing? You don't know what LARPing is? I, I just I had to look up LARPing. It happens in the woods. It's a true story. <laughs> Sounds like kids doing D and D, but outside. That's yes. what it sounds like. Yes, okay. like in real life, they get dressed up and they have little fake swords or big fake swords, and they like pretend to cast spells on each other and nice. stuff like that. Awesome! <laughs> Says Rick, the producer. Rick just went larping. <laughs> He'll be back shortly. <laughs> okay. Uh, as appealing as that bath sounds, you know you're a parent, so you do awkward things like talk to your kids when they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> And, Ain't it the truth? <laughs> <laughs> and this is important for college planning because you really have to know what your kid is envisioning for their future. If they want to go into a professional career versus a more vocational background, um, that can really affect not just how much you're saving, but if you're saving at all. All right, back to the book. Talking to teenagers is hard. There's no way you were that sullen and self-centered when you were a kid. Even though it was like pulling teeth, you learned that Jimmy does want to go to college and study business. Yay! Good talk. You are crushing this parenting thing. 
Do you wait until summer before college to start looking into student aid or start right away asking anyone and everyone you can for their advice? I don't know about asking anyone and everyone. <laughs> I a mean, lot of people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story, yes. A lot of people are dumb. Let them LARP. <laughs> uh, so it is important to uh, start planning for college pretty soon. I went to um, a college planning seminar where one of the experts was saying for um, FAFSA purposes, you have to start sort of rearranging your finances in the most optimal way by December of the child's junior year in high school. And so that is really long-term planning. So Jimmy better get his act together and <laughs> get going. Yeah. And of course, for our listeners, FAFSA stands for? Free application for federal student aid. I think I, you nailed that. I am going to agree with you on that one. That is a good one. Unless I was it's like, wrong. I was like, I know federal's <laughs> in there and student aid is in right. there somewhere. And that's, of course, the forms that you fill out to apply for right. student aid. And you, you can definitely take some significant steps to making yourself look more aid attractive. So definitely do that sooner so rather than later. start December of your kid's junior year. Finish yeah. by December. Yeah, finish, finish by, by December. Okay. Yeah. And then, but you apply, you reapply your FAFSA every year. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Back to the book. Good thinking. You really want to get your finances in ship shape as early as possible to be the first in line for student aid. But oh no, instead of walking into the student aid office, you accidentally end up in the nurse's office. She gives you two aspirin and a handful of condoms. Where was this woman 16 years ago? Just kidding. You love Jimmy. Keep saying that to yourself. Looks like little Jimmy grew up faster than you thought he would, just like people always say. He's ready to head to college in the fall. And while you really did try to set enough money aside and you did your best to fill out the FAFSA form, there just wasn't enough to cover all the expenses. How could one book cost $500? Is it the Gutenberg Bible? <laughs> Do you tap into your retirement account or take out a loan? Well, that's a tough one, yeah, but you hit the one. nail on the head in terms of the cost of college because the textbooks, oh man, that's like, that's like for me the quintessential example of why college stinks paying that much for a book and you have to get the same one and every year in the new edition. And you sell them back and you get yeah. like Nope, you got to buy the 25th edition. And, yeah. yeah, okay, anyways. Uh, so, this actually to me is a, a personal choice for a parent. I think my wife and I will do all we can to provide a college education for our kids, at least up until the cost of going to a good state school. And we live in Virginia, so we have lots of good options. It's easy for us. Beyond that, I would find it very difficult to tap my own retirement accounts for that, but I would, I would do everything I could to convince my kids not to take out school loans and to do, like I said, go to community college. Do all these other programs like ROTC or even like AmeriCorps. There are other pro programs that at least help with the cost before they ever take out a loan. Is this a story where, like, both options, you end up dead? Because, <laughs> like, taking out a loan is bad. Tapping your own retirement account isn't great either. Maybe. Did you flip ahead? <laughs> this I is did a not. trick question. Let's head back to the book. We're wrapping up. Yeah, it's a tough decision either way. But the bad news is Jimmy decided to change his major to medieval studies his sophomore year before <laughs> dropping out to join a traveling renaissance fair. You fall down a dark pit and die. The end. That was fun. Does that, does, does that story sound familiar to anyone <laughs> listening to the taping of this episode? Rick? I was eaten by a Gru. 
I don't even know what that means because that's nerd speak. <laughs> Rick, by the way, is a medieval studies major. So there you go, everybody. And employed. And employed. Not dead, also. I'm not dead. All right, kids. So what is the moral of the story? What is the best takeaway you can offer our listeners when it comes to paying for college? I think the best thing we can offer is to be thinking about it. Um, I mean, action is obviously the next step, but just ignoring it, thinking that, um, you know, kids won't need college in 20 years or, um, you know, my kid's going to get an athletic scholarship or something like that is not helping anybody. Um, and, you know, Jimmy is going to get really tired of you running drills at 6 a.m. to get him in shape for soccer. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, actually, that's true. I mean, a lot of parents do believe they're kind of hanging their hopes on aid, but the, the truth is the vast majority of aid comes in the forms of loans. Very few kids get a full ride college due just to a scholarship. Um, so then the option is to start saving. And and there is this question we talked about, you should save for your retirement first or for college. But really, the most important thing is just to save as much as possible, because if you've oversaved for retirement, then you can cut back a little bit and pay for college. The good news is that for most people, most parents at that age when their kids are going to school, they're actually in their peak earning years. So they might be able to afford some of that just out of their cash flow. But if they save for enough retirement up to that point, it's okay maybe if they don't contribute to their 401ks as much as they have over the next few years. But just start saving somewhere. A lot of people get to this point where, like, should I do the 529? Should I do my 401k? Which 529? Just save something somewhere, and you're going to be in a better place 10, 20 years down the road. Yeah, analysis paralysis will really end up hurting you in the long term because you spend more time making the decision than actually implementing the decision. Or avoiding making a decision. Yeah. Yeah. All right, before we go, what is the weirdest thing you did for money in college? Brocamp, you go first. Uh, I actually mentioned this in a previous episode in that I actually did participate in a human guinea pig, guinea pig experiment for money. I got my wisdom teeth pulled for free and got a little bit extra money. They're trying out new pain relievers. Did it work? It did, yes. I have no pain whatsoever anywhere in my body ever again. <laughs> Success. Success. How about you, Megan? I mean, I was also a test subject for you know injecting myself with colds and stuff like that, but I don't think that was the weirdest thing I did. I worked on a horse breeding farm in college. Then, then what did you do at this horse what, breeding what is a farm? Day, what does the nine to five look like? Yeah. For you punch in. It's a matchmaker, as it were. Really? So you'd be like, hey there, the horse named Ed. I want you to come over here and meet Susie. I think You're she's a Scorpio a real... and you would <laughs> well with this Taurus. I don't know. Is that, what, is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. You tell us, Megan. How I, do you play I horse matchmaker? Astrological signs. Usually, um, horse matchmaking is pretty easy because you have to pay pay for the privilege. So, so you were a horse horrible. pimp. No. <laughs> How did we get back on this topic? Because it's so funny. <laughs> All right, so the life of a horse pimp starts at 9 in the morning. It starts I don't know. at 7 a.m. Uh, okay. Early, early. Yeah. 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 Rise with the sun. And <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm tell, I don't want to go into detail. You tell Ed to go hit the streets and make you some money. I don't hit know. The <laughs> hit the stables. Hit the stables. Ed hit the stables. <laughs> You're beautiful to me, baby. You know I love you. Now Come out their manes, you know, yeah. make them look really, really beautiful, street ready. 
Yeah, that's weird. I don't have any good stories compared to what you guys did. So let's just call it a day, shall we? Yeah. All right. So moral of the story is paying for college is hard, but we have faith that you can do it and not fall down a dark pit and die. Let's head to the mailbag. Today's letter comes from Paul about something I've never heard of. It's called The Backdoor Roth. So, Paul writes, Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Paul. My wife and I are over the income limit to contribute to a Roth IRA, but recently I've been hearing about something called a Backdoor IRA, which sounds like it would allow for some great tax savings. I tried to find some information online about it, but ended up more confused than before I started. Could you provide a simple explanation of what this is and how it works? Thanks. Well, I would be happy to. So, I think the key to understanding a backdoor Roth IRA is first knowing what the front door Roth IRA is. So, a front door Roth IRA, which you will not find anywhere on Google, I'm pretty sure, um, is where you simply open a Roth IRA account and deposit money into it. It's pretty straightforward. The problem with that is that the front door is only available to non-high income earners. So, if you're married filing jointly and make more than $183,000 a year, you cannot go through the front door to get to your Roth IRA. Um, And so, you have to look at alternatives. And one alternative is called the backdoor Roth IRA. And it just involves a number of steps to reach the same conclusion. So, instead of contributing directly to a Roth IRA, you would open a traditional IRA, contribute money to that traditional IRA, and then convert it to a Roth. And uh, there are some special considerations with this because the IRS says, hey, that looks a lot like the front door. So, you have to make that transaction uh, distinguishable to the IRS. And a lot of that is just by actually investing money in your traditional IRA, letting it sit there for a period of time. Experts disagree on the exact length of time that's necessary, anywhere from a week to a year. Um, But after a period of time has passed, then you convert to a Roth IRA. And so, at the end of the day, you end up with a Roth IRA. um, And it's beneficial, you know, in case people aren't aware of um, the benefits of a Roth IRA, it's essentially tax-free money once it's in that Roth vehicle. So, it can grow for years and years and years, and you can use use it to fund your retirement or... Um, there are special provisions that allow you to withdraw for a first-time home buyer. You know, using part of your Roth for a down payment and things like that. So, is this something you guys recommend? Well, it's, it becomes more complicated if you already have money in other traditional IRAs because it, it's very complicated. But you kind of have to aggregate them when you determine the conversion and the tax consequences of the conversion. So, if you don't have other traditional IRAs, it's much more compelling than if you do. And it only relates to whether you have them or not. It's a separate issue. You don't have to worry about whether your spouse has any other traditional IRAs. You just have to consider whether you have traditional IRAs. You get to be selfish. You get to be selfish, yeah. But if you're not eligible to contribute to a Roth, and you can do this pretty easily, I totally recommend it. And if you're a little fuzzy on the details, the people to cost would be actually call would be the people to who with whom you have the IRA. So let's say you have the IRA with Vanguard. Call Vanguard, say, listen, I want to do the backdoor Roth. They'll tell you what to do. It's a it's an underground term. You will not be able to go to IRS.gov and find the term backdoor Roth. It is uh, something that because it sounds sneaky and illegal. It sounds sneaky, which is what makes it so fun. 
But <laughs> if you call your broker, whoever, Fanguard Fidelity, they'll tell you what to do, and, and, what, and they might even give you a little bit of direction on whether it makes sense for you. Yeah. yeah. There's also tax consideration in terms of just filing your tax return. There is an additional form that you would have to file for this, Form 8606, in case anyone's, you know, Into Googling. numbers? Yeah. I know there's so many people out there like, finally, I know the name of the form. Finally. You can drop Thank that you, at Megan. cocktail parties. <laughs> you got your 8606 this year? Oh, yeah, I, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul, I hope you found that helpful. Uh, again, our email is answers at fool.com. So if you guys have questions, go ahead and send them in. We do have a bit of a backlog. So apologies that we probably won't get to it for a while, but we still love you. <laughs> Don't stop loving us. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the show this week, but I have some big news. Yes. What? What? We reached our goal of 100 reviews on iTunes. Yay! Yay! Thanks to everyone for making it happen, such as Wawa from Wa State. Says it's good listening, practical advice for the casual investor delivered in an entertaining style. Love to listen while I'm at the gym. Deserves to be in at least the top 50 of podcasts. Thanks. I think we do deserve to be in top 50, too. I agree. We'll claw our way to the top slowly. All right, so thank you everyone who took the time to go to iTunes and give us a review. We really appreciate it, and we love your feedback. That's the show, folks. It's edited decisively by Rick Engdahl with theme music composed and performed by Diana Yoakum. I want to thank Megan for joining us again. We really appreciate it. I kind of like you guys. Oh, thanks. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on. I've never actually been LARPing. Whatever.